the American electorate is pragmatic. They ask, what have you done for me lately? And do you deserve four more years in power? Alan Lickman is in the business of presidential fortune telling. He's correctly predicted nine U.S. elections for the country's highest office and is going for his 10th consecutive success this year. Understandably, he's created a lot of buzz. As the campaign trail in the U.S. heats up, one presidential historian has made his prediction, and he has the track record to back it up. In all nine presidential elections since 1984, American University history professor Alan Lichtman has correctly predicted the outcome by using a system he helped create. He's suggesting that maybe the polls aren't where you want to look. Maybe there are different metrics when you want to make an accurate prediction. Professor Lickman's track record stands apart at a time when many people have lost trust in election predictions, punditry, and polling. So how does he keep getting it right? And will his formula hold up against this year's unique voting challenges? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Now, after an intro like that, I know you're probably itching to know who Professor Lichtman thinks will win this year's election. But bear with me, because before we get to his most recent prediction, I want to talk about the first one he made in 1982. In 1982, we were in the midst of the biggest recession, the worst recession since the Great Depression. The nation's consumer economy has been flat since 1979, with bankruptcies and unemployment at their highest level since the Great Depression. Ronald Reagan's approval ratings were where Jimmy Carter's had been at a comparable point in his presidency. That's a bad thing for those of you who aren't American history nerds. Jimmy Carter was voted out after only one term in the Oval Office. That's when Ronald Reagan took over. But half a term in, in 1982, things weren't looking great for him either. Everyone was talking about a one-term president. But I saw we'd have a recovery before the election. I saw Ronald Reagan as a charismatic candidate. And I just didn't see enough negative factors turned against him to predict his defeat. So Professor Lichtman predicted Reagan would win re-election before he'd even announced he would seek it. I got this very interesting call after I published my article in the April 1982 Washingtonian. A man with a heavy Southern accent said, Professor Lichtman, this is Lee Atwater calling, political director of the Ronald Reagan White House. Incredible. We want you to come to the White House. <laughs> so I go to the White House. I meet everybody, you know, the vice president, the attorney general, and Lee Atwater and I talk about Kennedy Nixon or Harry Truman's come from behind victory in 1948. At the end of the day, he says, Professor Lichtman, what would happen if Ronald Reagan didn't run again? He wanted to know if the Republican Party, which Reagan was part of, could win without him. And I said, I'm going to be real candid with you. You go from a sure win to a sure loss. Lee Atwater looks me in the eye and says, thank you so much, Professor Lichtman, and the rest is history. Reagan did run again. He did win in 1984, and he's gone down in history as a Republican darling. Professor Lichtman 
was spot on. But that was 36 years ago. It's hard to imagine that the same model that correctly predicted elections then still works today. The internet has revolutionized campaign strategy. More recently, the pandemic has restructured people's priorities. So I asked him how his methodology from the 1980s holds up. Yeah, great question. And my answer is my model is very robust. Retrospectively, I developed the model going all the way back to 1860. We didn't even have radio then. We didn't have automobiles. Obviously, we didn't have computers. Uh, my ancestors from Eastern Europe weren't even here yet. Women couldn't vote. African-Americans couldn't vote. We were an agricultural society. So the changes from 1860 to 2020 are much greater than the changes in our own time. But let me tell you, every four years, some smart person says, oh, this year is different, your keys won't work. We have an African-American running, never had that before. We have a woman running, we never had that before. We have social media, we've never had that before. And my answer is, the keys are robust. They've worked for over 150 years through much bigger changes than those you're talking about. So let's break down this robust prediction model. It's all based on 13 true or false statements, which Professor Lichtman calls keys, you know, because they open the door to the White House. The keys are based on the insight that American presidential elections are referenda votes up or down on the strength and performance of the party holding the White House. Today, of course, that's Trump and the Republicans. It's based on the remarkable insight then that it's governing, not campaigning that counts. So forget the polls, forget the pundits, don't look at who's up and down day to day, forget the speeches, the debates, the ads, the fundraising, the tricks of the campaign. Keep your eye on the big picture of presidential strength and performance. That's what the 13 keys gauge. If six or more keys turn against the party holding the White House, they are predicted losers. And the 13 keys are? Midterm election results, incumbency, third parties, major contests for the incumbent party nomination, long-term economy, short-term economy, policy change, social unrest, scandal, foreign policy successes, foreign policy failures. And if these candidates are charismatic candidates, Okay, maybe the 13 keys are a lot to take in. What's important is focusing on the ones that are false, because they dictate the prediction. Like Professor Lichtman said, if there are six false keys, that means the party in the White House is on its way out. This year, the first false key is about the midterms. It assumes that the governing party did well in the most recent congressional elections. So that one is obviously false, goes against Trump, because the Republicans took a basting in 2018 midterms. Then there's the short-term economy key, which assumes it is doing well. We're in a recession. That one is false. So that's the second knock against President Donald Trump's chances. The long-term economy is the third. The negative growth this year has drastically pulled down the full record of economic growth under Trump. 
The economic woes may be largely because of the coronavirus, but Professor Lichtman says voters will still see it as a strike against the Trump administration. So that's three. The next false key is... Social unrest. Of course, that goes against him. By that, he's referring to the anti-racism protests that have gripped the U.S. this summer. That's four. Next up is the scandal key. My favorite key, oh my gosh, only the third (laughs) president in history ever to be impeached by the full house. Which, by the way, Professor Lichtman also predicted would happen. Plus all kinds of other scandals, that counts against him. That brings us to five. Then there's the two foreign policy keys. Trump gets credit for not suffering a foreign or military failure, so that's a win. But Professor Lichtman rules that Trump didn't have any successes either. He never had that. His initiatives in North Korea and the Middle East and Syria have all gone for naught. Yes, he killed General Soleimani, but I guarantee you 95% of the American people couldn't tell you who he is today. It's not like killing Osama bin Laden, public enemy number one. That's six. Six false keys, which is all Professor Lichtman needs to call a loss for the incumbent party. But there's one extra in this case. On the question of the incumbent candidate's charisma. This is the one I get the most pushback on, but I stick to saying that that's false. And the reason is, yes, Trump is a great showman. He has a lot of flash, but he appeals to a narrow segment of the electorate. His strong approval rating is only between 25 and 30 percent. Only a third of Americans think he's honest and trustworthy. And so that final tally is... Midterm election results, incumbency, third parties, major contests for the incumbent party nomination, long-term economy, short-term economy, policy change, social unrest, scandal, foreign policy successes, foreign policy failures, and whether these candidates are the once-in-a-generation, truly inspirational, charismatic candidates. In case you weren't counting, that's six for Trump, seven against. Which means Professor Lichtman predicts that come 2021, we'll see the inauguration of President Joseph Biden Jr. Interestingly, just nine months ago, the keys were telling Professor Lichtman a completely different story. In late 2019, although I didn't make a final prediction because things could change, it looked like Donald Trump was in pretty good shape. He was down four, so he had a two-key cushion. And then, of course, everything changed in 2020. The first case of China's new and deadly coronavirus has been reported here in the U.S. U.S. economic growth shrank 32.9% in the second quarter. That is by far the largest quarterly drop since record-keeping began in 1947. These protests... The outrage, the calls for justice would be extraordinary at any point in American history. That they're happening in a country that has the most cases and the most deaths from COVID-19 makes this moment exceptional. America was hit with multiple crises and Trump made a fundamental mistake. He didn't understand the meaning of the keys, which is very different when you're running as the incumbent. It's governing then that counts. And instead of dealing substantively with the pandemic and the cries for social and racial justice, 
he followed his 2016 playbook and thought he could talk his way out of them. And the result was a disaster for the nation and for Trump's reelection. Three more keys turned against him. The short-term economic key, because we're in a deep recession. The long-term economic key, because the negative growth has pulled that down. And the social unrest key, with social unrest raging across the country. So Trump goes from four keys down to seven keys down. And he is now a predicted loser. This was the most sudden, the most dramatic turnaround in the history of the United States. That's how dramatic it was. So that breakdown is really close. Has it been this close in any year prior? And what has that looked like? Oh, it's been close in many years. I didn't make my call in 2016 until September, and that was a very knife-edge election. There were exactly six keys counted against the Democrats, just enough to predict Hillary Clinton's defeat. I said, basically, Hillary Clinton's going to lose, not because of anything Donald Trump has done, but because this is going to be a change election. 1992 was a very tough call because you had that major third-party candidate, Ross Perot, you know, a very charismatic guy, but, you know, a, a little bit eccentric. And he kept dropping in and dropping out of the campaign. So, yes, there have been tough calls. But it is worth mentioning that this year's election might stand out in ways that have nothing to do with the keys, things that his model really can't predict. Let me tell you a couple of things about this election. They're outside the scope of the keys or any prediction system, but they keep me awake at night. One is voter suppression. Donald Trump and his enablers are doing everything in their power to try to restrict the vote, even messing with the post office. A lot of people have been arguing that voters this November should have the option of mailing in their ballots to avoid crowding at polling stations during the pandemic. But for that to happen, the Postal Service needs more support. And Trump is against that. They want $25 billion for the post office because the post office is going to have to go to town to get these great, ridiculous ballots in. You know, there's nothing wrong with getting out and voting. You get out and vote. Now, if we don't make a deal, that means they don't get the money. That means they can't have universal mail-in voting. They just can't have it. So, you know. Why? The Republican base is old white guys like me. Well, you can't manufacture more old white guys, unfortunately for me. (laughs) That's the most shrinking part of the electorate. But what you can do is try to restrict the vote of the rising Democratic base of minorities and young people. Donald Trump, in a moment of candor, even said, if we have high voter turnout, Republicans will never win election. Uh, They had things, uh, levels of voting, that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. So that keeps me awake at night. The other thing is, we know the Russians are intervening again And we know they've learned a lot over four years. They may even be able this time to mess around with our registration rolls, which would be an utter disaster. So you mentioned that these things keep you up at night. Do you think that there's a potential for them to tip the scale? Could they 
counteract what the keys represent? I don't think so. I stick by my prediction, but these things do worry me. And they worry me much less about the keys. That doesn't matter much. What they really worry me about is the future of our democracy. We don't want our democracy to be corrupted by keeping people from voting. And we don't want our democracy to be corrupted by a foreign autocrat like Vladimir Putin. And here's the great irony. You know, what Russian interference does is undermine the sovereignty of America. And who has been the strongest rhetorical advocate of sovereignty? Donald Trump. And that's the great irony here. So you've made no secret of your disdain and distaste for many of Trump's policies. And and you've also put it on the record that you're a Democrat. So what do you say to those who say some of these keys seem subjective and it seems like the ones about foreign policy successes and failures, the ones about charisma, that could be interpreted differently by different people? My answer is this. Here's the hardest thing to being a successful forecaster. It's not knowing history, although you got no history. It's not knowing math, although you got no math. It's not knowing politics. It's putting aside your own personal political preferences. If I simply called the keys according to my political preferences, I would not be on your air. I would be useless as a forecaster because I'd be wrong half the time. I've made nine calls, four Republican calls, five Democratic calls. That is as close to equality as you possibly can get. And of course, when I called Donald Trump in 2016, that hardly made me popular in 90% plus Democratic Washington, D.C. You can imagine the flack that I got. So while, yes, there is a degree of judgment involved, my judgment is purely impartial. And it's not just based on some subjective whim. It's based on the very careful definition of each key. So you may be thinking the outcome of the 2016 election baffled almost everyone in the business of predicting elections. This was an earthquake unlike any earthquake I've really seen since Ronald Reagan in 1980. It just came out of nowhere. Almost all of the polls leading up to the presidential election showed Hillary Clinton beating Donald Trump. It was a scene few could imagine just a few hours early. Donald Trump trailing in the polls for much of the campaign, emerging victorious. It left a lot of people thinking, the polls just don't accurately predict elections. And Professor Lichtman seems to agree. Polls are not predictors. I'll repeat that. Polls are not predictors. Okay, he definitely agrees. Here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with the polls. The pollsters are perfectly intelligent, smart, honest people. The problem is polls are momentary snapshots. And that snapshot could change quickly. The other issue is polls don't actually question voters. They have to guess or estimate somewhat scientifically who the actual voters are. They call them likely voters. Well, there's going to be error in that. So polls can be insightful and important, but they should never, ever be misused as predictors. You've got to look at the fundamentals. 
And I have to tell you, you can see I'm not a sardonic person, but I did get a little bit of sardonic pleasure on election night, watching the conventional pundits twist themselves into pretzels, trying to explain why something happened that they told us couldn't possibly happen. But he says there's hope because people are making election predictions differently now. You know, my ideas are really seeping into the mainstream. There's a lot more talk these days about the election being a referendum on Donald Trump rather than being decided by the campaign. Still a whole lot of conventional wisdom, but I am pleased, even if I don't get credit for it, which is fine, to see my ideas about the fundamentals of elections getting into the conventional wisdom. Professor, last question here, but I imagine there must be a little bit of hesitation or trepidation or maybe even anxiety right before you publish these. What is that like for you? And what are the implications in your mind for getting it wrong? You couldn't be more right. You know, I'm 73 years old. There's kind of nothing anyone can do to me. You know, I'm not ambitious for anything more. But I've been doing this for 40 years. Every time I put myself on the line, my stomach is filled with butterflies. And it's going to be filled with butterflies now for another three months. Because I know I'm human. I can make mistakes. Historical patterns can change. Of course, it's possible that I could be wrong. I don't think I'm going to be wrong because I have this track record. But, you know, I, I feel really nervous because I know if I'm wrong, my critics are going to be pretty merciless. <laughs> well, I know that you have at least half the country who are rooting for you and hoping that you are right. Yeah, half the country wants me to be right. You know, close to half the country wants me to be wrong. So every four years, I get half the country really mad at me. <laughs> Either way. And having been doing this for 40 years, the entire country is really mad at oh me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I hope you have a strategy for, for, for coping with all of that. And I appreciate you still sharing your thoughts with us. So, Professor Lickman, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for a great interview. And that's The Take. You can hear more from Alan Lickman in an upcoming episode of Start Here, Al Jazeera's online video explainer series that unpacks the stories that matter. They're exploring the professor's take on polling. And if you want to learn more about his methodology, read his book, Predicting the Next President, The Keys to the White House. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilbey, with Dina Kispe, Abigail Oniwo-Hacha, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, and Amy Walters. With me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is our team's engagement producer. Alex Roldan is the sound designer. Stacey Samuel is the Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back 